0: Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Now today's story is uh, one of following your heart, living your passion, and creating the life that you want to live. Very fitting for "Don't Box Me In." My guest today, Michael Mojuleski, um, abandoned his comfortable middle-class life and set out to find raw, unharnessed wilderness. He founded on the uh, Blackfish Sound in the Inside Passage. Uh, that is the rugged coastline between uh, Seattle and Alaska. Michael settled on a desolate island in the Inside Passage, an unpredictable place that kept you always prepared, home to the keen edge of life, he says. There he lived alone for months on end. I don't know if many of us could do that. Um, and in his book, Inside Passage, living with killer whales, bald eagles, and hopefully I'm going to say this right, Coahuacatl Indians, um, Mojoleski writes for with a love of nature and his interactions with the native animals such as eagles, whales, wolves, as well as the other settlers. I can't wait to hear his story today and extend a big welcome his way. Michael, please, welcome to Don't Box Me In.
0: Oh, Alana, thank you for having me on. It's really an honor.
1: All right, my pleasure. Now tell me, did I say that name, the Indian name correctly,
0: yeah, Quahudl, but you know, if if they could pronounce it, it would be totally different because it's the guttural sounds that oh. no white person can do because they can, you know, do the guttural pronunciations from birth. So that's close. So
1: can you get close for us after all this time? Can you say closest they would?
0: A Quahudl. Oh,
1: okay. So no, I'm not even going to attempt that. <laughs> So um, your story, we're going to start out here at the beginning here, starts off in Cleveland, Ohio, because that's very different from where you ended up. Um, You are the son of a professional football player, I read. Uh, Is it safe to say that your dad started you out playing football at an early age?
0: Yeah, but, you know, we never had to follow in his footsteps. He just said, whatever you choose to do in life, be the best. And whenever he'd come home, he'd always tell, I have uh, three other brothers and sisters, and he'd say, the only four-letter word I don't want to hear in this house is can't. You can ah. do anything in life if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. Awesome,
1: awesome. So what made you pick up the football then?
0: Well, then I, you know, the love of the game. I actually went on a football scholarship to uh, to college, but there were two sides. There was the athlete and there was the poet. Mm-hmm. And I saw the violence of the game, which is really be, being called into question right now with the concussion yes. issue and the new movie out with Will Smith and mm-hmm. – I just didn't, I wanted to be healthy my whole life long and not carry, God forbid, concussions or other injuries to my physical self because I always wanted to climb mountains, run marathons, that sort of thing as well. So the, the poet and the, and the writer, uh, eventually won out.
1: Okay. When did this, this desire to roam, you know, the wilderness hit you? Well,
0: you know, it's funny is my mother is <laughs> really responsible for my career. <laughs> because when I was a little boy living in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, six, seven years old, she would read me to sleep every single night with all the great stories like Grimm's Fairy Tales, King Arthur. And one night she picked up a book by Jack London called The Call of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Now, living in an industrial city, I don't know why that particular story resonated so much. And the funny thing was, is my mom said that when my eyes were closed and I was sleeping, she kept on reading. (laughs) And, you know, it's been proven, if you want to learn a foreign language, let the tape recorder run all night. Because I think even when we're asleep, our subconscious is like a pilot light in an oven. It's always on. So we're absorbing things, even if we are, quote, asleep. So my mom put the love of story, and the love of language into my ear when you're totally impressionable, uh-huh. you know, at, at young age. So it really started there.
1: Okay. Now, you know, me being a mother here, how how did how did your mother feel about being the uh, the strong contributing force to her son actually going out there and in picking up a backpack and just kind of roaming the world? I mean,
0: oh, uh, she- and then then she hated it. <laughs> Because I have an Italian mother, and <laughs> mothers, Jewish mothers, I guess all mothers are, yeah. are smothers.
1: Yeah.
0: And my mother, you know, her attitude is don't live, you might die. <laughs> I worry from the womb to the tomb. You know? So you're- being, <laughs> being a Catholic and Italian, she has all these visions and superstitions and,
1: is, is you know, too- don't
0: go live in the wilderness. My eyes twitching, that means death. <laughs> Too thank funny. you, thank you for your support.
1: <laughs> I know, right? Can I just get a little love, mom? Here, say I encourage. Yeah. You. Too funny. So you 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 said earlier that you you ended up getting the scholarship. You went to college, and you decided that that was not for you. How how long did it take for you to decide that that was not for you?
0: Well, you know, we have many mentors that come into our life, and a very wise man. He sensed the poetic side, mm-hmm. and he said, "You know what? One summer and." In- between your your college uh, semesters, I really think you should go to Europe. You should okay. buy yourself a URL pass. You should take a backpack. You should not, you know, stay in the Hilton hotels. You should stay in hostels and sleep in train stations and just take about two, three months and get outside the U.S. and just travel. And that's what really flipped the switch okay. because – you know, to be totally free with this train pass that you literally could jump on any train and go up to Norway and then go back down to Rome and just roam that whole continent. I saw streets named after writers, mm-hmm. you know, and all the great museums there. And one time what really shocked me is I was sitting in a cafe in Paris and I was scribbling in a journal and this couple, they were uh, french and they invited me to join them for a drink and i said oh i'd love to but just, i have to just finish this this one paragraph and they looked at me with awe and i was just a punk kid you know i yeah. started my career and they both said ah oh, you're a writer <laughs> and they said it with such respect okay and you know seeing the streets named after writers seeing that in europe the writer and artist is almost given the same adulation as say a professional athlete would in the United States.
1: Okay. So
0: that really uh helped to plant a seed over there.
1: Okay. Now I'm I'm reflecting on myself in my freshman year in college. If I had a came home um you know that summer after freshman year and told mom and dad, you know what, I think I'm just gonna put on a backpack and get a Euro pass and just, you know, kind of roam around, my mom and my dad would probably have had a fit. Um were you received well with your intention to, to kind of travel in Rome for a second?
0: Well, my dad couldn't figure it out. And my mom actually took me to the airport. And, of course, she's a worrywart. And I said, Mom, you know, you can die crossing the street. You That's have to right. live life. You you can't be afraid. But where are you going to stay and, you know, all the, all the motherly concerns. And I promised her, you know, I'd go to Italy where she's from and – and I send postcards, and I was really good about writing back so that I never really lost touch with them. Okay. So but, what happens you – know, I've, you- I've really given my mother almost all of her gray hair. I, <laughs> you know, is- between taking off for Europe but then going to live on this island and climbing mountains and going into ice caves. And she says, Michael, just tell me after you do this stuff. <laughs>
1: Just, I've always got this one kid here. You know, he's always causing me these problems here. Well, uh,
0: You know, one time a psychiatrist, uh I have a summer gig on a mm-hmm. cruise ship with Princess Cruises for five months every year. I'm the guest lecturer and the naturalist. And the strange thing is, we am kind of jumping ahead, but we go by the very island I lived on. And I mean, talk about, you know, the circle of life and deja vu. And she came up to me after one of my programs. I give PowerPoint shows, you know, on what people can see and do during their cruise, the wildlife. And it's magical because they can see in real time out the windows mm-hmm. or on their shore excursions, you know, what the speaker is talking about. And it's a great gig for a writer because I have all my books on a table outside the theater. And so one yeah. time a psychiatrist came up to me. And very famous psychiatrist in New York City that, you know, analyzes politicians and celebrities. And she said, buy me a glass of wine later on the ship and I will explain you to yourself. (laughs) I mean, who is going to turn that down? (laughs) So I told her about my upbringing and she said, Michael, you owe your mother your life. Because I had two dynamics. I had my father saying, don't use the word can't, go out there and just let it rip. And then I had this mother-mother. Mm-hmm. So I had giddy-up and I had whoa going on at the same time. But she said you – to break your mother's ties that bind, mm-hmm. that's probably why you do all this crazy stuff. is sort of this secret rebellion because if your mom and your dad both said – just go out there, do whatever you want, hang off the mountains, wrestle grizzly bears, I'd probably be an accountant. Nothing's <laughs> anything right. wrong with being an accountant. I mean, they hold the world together. Yeah. But, you know, I would have played it safe maybe.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that is true. Now, I'm wondering, listening to you talking, and you did mention that your mother, um, I think I heard that your mother did go on a, a cruise with you. or to, has, has your mother, after all these years, and I'm not sure if she's still with us, ever, like, donned the backpack and said, okay, let me go and see what my son is out here doing?
0: Uh, Mom's still alive, very much so. And Mm -hmm. she's never been on the cruise ship, but she did actually come and uh, visit the island. Cool. And you know what I see, whether it's my mother, whether it's people that don't want to take the cruise. Sometimes we have couples where one is eager to cruise and the man maybe comes along reluctantly. By the end of the week-long cruise to Alaska, the reluctant partner wants to move there. Okay. And because beauty everybody responds to. Yes. And Alaska, especially in the summertime. It is one of the most stunningly beautiful places on Earth.
1: Mm-hmm. Alaska that is the uh six months out of the year we're dark and in the summertime that's the light period of time.
0: Yeah, and in the summer it's it's the greatest hits. I mean, there's 1,500 different species of wildflowers. You have hummingbirds pollinating the flowers 2,000 feet up on hanging gardens on the mountainsides. And these mountains come 15,000 feet vertical, right up above the ocean.
1: Wow.
0: And it's such a balanced place because you have yin and yang. Yin, the feminine principle of the fluid water, the ocean. And you have yang, the stalwart granite mountains so when you put those two opposite elements together you have harmony you have tranquility and beauty
1: awesome now let me back up here because I got to get you to this place and we had stopped at the um, trip to Europe there so you come back uh, from this little gallivanting around European countryside and stuff like that you come back and you go back to college to start your sophomore year or no
0: well then I actually had my vocation I knew I wanted to be a writer, but so do 20 million people. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, not a lot of people can think they can act because maybe, you know, Hollywood is so brutal about, you know, uh, the physical self or looks, but everybody thinks they can write. And that's great because everybody does have a story to tell. But how do you get from the desire to the actual profession? So what I did is I transferred colleges. And I went to Indiana University that had the best journalism school in the United States, you know, to learn the five W's, who, what, when, where and why. Learn yes. the rules, which, you know, I later broke. Uh, <laughs> I just, later. just a so, rebellious, uh, rebellious guy all the way around. Yeah. So I came out of Indiana University. You know, I learned about the structure of being a writer And then I decided before I hooked into a job and mortgage and, you know, maybe family and all of that, that I would just be a ski bum for a year. So I moved to Aspen, Colorado, and I wrote some film documentaries, did some freelance work and skied and just had a great time. But by doing that, uh, that 's where everything happened Start to totally change. Oh. accidentally, but Lana, are there any accidents in life?
1: Never, never that, never that and we 're going to take a quick break and uh, talk more about uh, this next phase of life and the more the uh, extra gray hair you gave your mother right after commercial break.
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I am hanging out with the author of such titles as Wildlife, Inside Passage, and North Through Paradise, Mr. Michael Mujaleski. And before the break, we were talking about um, his uh, gallivanting across Europe, and now he's back, went to a college to do the writing thing. And um, is that the point where a person by the name of Will Maloff comes into your life?
0: Well, just about, but I needed somebody <laughs> to connect me to Will. Okay. And that's what happened when I had my year as a ski bum in Aspen, Colorado. And this is totally crazy. I, <laughs> this is the la vida loca. Okay. You know, I'm starving to death. I'm getting writing assignments, and then, you know, I'd eat peanut butter and top ramen noodles. <laughs> till two months later, you know, I got a check for a, another article or wrote, another uh, film strip or so aspen is an amazing place <clears throat> excuse me not just for the skiing in the winter time but it's really a cultural spot where in the summer they have music festivals and they have all sorts of cultural meetings and one that is world famous is they have an international design conference in aspen up in the mountains where they bring in designers of whether it's cars or clothes or You name it. They all uh, come into Aspen for four or five days to talk shop. And I wanted to go to this conference so bad, but I didn't have the money because it's fairly expensive. So if you volunteered as a local living there to put up the tents, then you could get in for free Mm -hmm. in exchange for the labor. So that I did. And the very first day, and it was incredible, you know, the seminars going on and Mm – so then they made an announcement. Okay, guys, uh, there are about a 1,000 attendees, and they said, we're going to take a lunch break. Everybody go out in the meadow, and we're going to watch hang gliders come <laughs> off the top of Ajax Mountain, and they're going to land at your feet. So, Lana, there's 1,000 people in a meadow with their heads back, sort <laughs> turning around like human tops, uh-huh. watching these human kites, you know, swerving and gliding down toward us. And I bumped into a back. Now, why wasn't I standing 18 inches to the left or two feet to the right? I would have totally missed my future. I bumped into the back of a beautiful French Canadian from Vancouver, British Columbia. We turned around to say excuse me. We whipped off our sunglasses and uh, fell in love. Uh, and sometimes you know it all happens in two seconds. I think yeah. it's animal, it's pheromones, it's it's just there. We skipped out of the conference. We went camping up in the mountains and just totally clicked. Okay. So Jean Viev, having an architect practice back in Vancouver, um, had to go back north. I had never been west of Colorado. So I'm getting a letter a day from beautiful jean Viev saying, Omo, that was her nickname for me. Come and see me. I miss you. So, again, not having any money, I stuck on my thumb and I hitchhiked all the way from Colorado over to Los Angeles, all the way up the West Coast, Highway 1, spent two weeks with jean Viev on her sailboat. And we sailed north of Vancouver through the Inside Passage to Alaska. And I didn't even know this place existed. Mm -hmm. And I was just blown away. We had killer whales escorting the sailboat. The salmon were running. It was uh, late in the summer in August. All the salmon were filling the streams. We were watching bears pulling the Mm -hmm. salmon out and eagles in the treetops watching the bears. It just was like this wildlife paradise. Mm -hmm. And what it was, it was Jack London. Mm
1: -hmm. And at
0: that point in time... I was looking to write my first book. I wanted to write something not just with my head but with my heart, something that I was passionate about. So we went uh, quite far north up the Inside Passage. Now, this is the crazy part. (coughs) I'm in her apartment. My suitcases are by the door. I'm due to leave to go back to Colorado the next morning and Joviev's telephone rings. And it is Will Maloff, the man you mentioned, Mm -hmm. who got her number at a party nine years before. Oh, my. And he lives on this wilderness island, and that's how infrequently he can actually leave the wilderness to come into uh, the city. Okay. So jean going, Will, I remember you. You're the man who plays his guitar on the beach, and the killer whales come in to listen to your music. You take your jacket off when you're building your garden and uh-huh. you, you left it on the fence post you told me and the bees made hives in your pockets. You you live up north there where we just were sailing, but you live in this wild paradise. I remember you.
1: Uh
0: huh. So here's Will wanting to take Jean Viev out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My life. whole future hung in because as you might know, ninety nine point nine percent of men. When they find out that Genevieve already has a guy with her, Uh they're going to say, okay, I'll catch you in another nine
1: years. (laughs) Yes.
0: But to Will's credit, he said, all right, the three of us will go out.
1: Oh, And I mean
0: most most men, there's no way they're going to do that. Not at all. So we went for Chinese food in Vancouver. Genevieve is totally ignored. She's sitting back. And her head is just turning from one side to the other because Will Maloff had what I wanted. He uh-huh. was Jack London. He had all that magic living in the wilderness. And from what I had just seen as an introduction, we, we went right into his area on that sailboat. Okay. And Lana, I almost reached across the table and grabbed him by the lapels, said, can I please come and stay? You know, but I would never do that because. Yeah that's just no way. (laughs) Well, he sensed, I think, where I was in life and he sensed definitely what I wanted. So he said, Mike, I'm in a hurry. I got to go. I'll tell you what. I'm giving you a formal invitation. Why don't you come see my island? It's 200 miles north and about 100 years back in time. I go, really? Oh, my God. I, I would love to go. So he leaves. But then, you know, we all have reasons why we can't do something.
1: Yes.
0: You got to get back to a job. You got bills to pay. You got all the responsibilities. But the fortune cookies came mm-hmm. at the end of the Chinese meal. And thinking nothing of it, I grabbed one off the platter or the plate and I cracked it open. I'm talking to jean Vieux, and I'm as high as a kite from, you know, meeting this man. And I looked down at my fortune cookie and it says, you are going on a journey to an exotic land.
1: Awesome. It's awesome. like,
0: do you need a hammer to hit you over the head?
1: That's right.
0: So when I went up there, I was going to stay two weeks. I called my editor that I had an assignment to hold him off. And the first time it was two years of continuous stay. But the funny thing was, is my father called the police, the Royal <laughs> Canadian Mounted Police, because... I quit my jobs. I didn't come home. He thought mm. I was smoking funny tobacco.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something's wrong with my son. My
0: son here. And he kept saying to me, and rightly so, you know, our parents grew up in a tougher time than, than we did. And, you know, he was on the edge of the Great Depression in the U.S. as a kid growing up. And so security meant a lot to my dad. And he kept saying to me, how can you quit a job without having another one lined up. Mm-hmm. And I said, dad, I can't explain it. I mm-hmm. just have to stay here. I just have to write this book. I mean, and then my mother's going, Oh my God, I had a vision that you were a bear killed you and ate you.
1: <laughs> oh, your mother's you know, like, there goes Tim for kids. We are
0: in life. We want our parents approval. Yes. And have both parents against you. That's mm-hmm. a tough one.
1: Yes, it is. Especially from the father who's always telling you, know, you know, don't let can't be a uh, part of a vocabulary. Okay, well here, Dad, I'm I'm doing what you said, and now Dad's like, wait a minute, hold on, I really didn't mean like that that much, but
0: you know, boy, that line <laughs> is exactly how he was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, I had a limitation on can't here, okay. <laughs>
0: exactly. And he kept saying to me, "You have nothing on your resume. You've only been camping like twice before in your life." You know, how are you You don't know anything. How are you going to survive up there? You know? <laughs> so like, my son is a city boy. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? <laughs> right.
1: Oh, too funny. Too funny. So you decided to stay. Was there any kind of game plan about how you were going to feed yourself, how you were going to put a roof over your head? Or you just were like, I don't care. I'm just going for it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Will had never found anybody crazy enough to actually <laughs> stay to free him up to leave. Okay, he wanted to go travel in China and be gone for like five, six months at a time. Okay. And I he said, Yeah, yeah, you're gonna be like everybody else. The minute the bear pushes in the door or the weather and the darkness sets in, you're gonna call, you know, in a float plane to pull you out of here. And I said, Nope. I said, I'm gonna stay here because the difference between me and those other people that maybe you tried to have watch your place. Is I want to write about this place.
1: Oh, this, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, This, on my, this is said, my. Hold bed. on, hold on, a i I'm just gonna. You said bear pushing the door, like that's reality, like like that. Oh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> you're
0: so far. The nearest neighbor, Lana, was 12 <laughs> miles away. I mean, when I would go to the top of the island, you could literally spin around in a circle 360, and you would not see any sign of man. No oh. telephone wires. No other houses. You are totally in isolation and your close neighbors are grizzly bears, black bears, cougars living on the island, killer whales in the front yard, you know, all these quote, dangerous animals around you.
1: Oh my goodness. And you, you live in
0: British Columbia and Alaska, that whole area, it seduces you with beauty and the next moment it can try to kill you if Mm. you're prepared. It's very unforgiving there.
1: Okay, okay. And you were out there for how long before you came back to uh, what we call civilization?
0: Well, my first stint was just about two years continuously.
1: Okay, okay. So was there like this major adjustment when you came back to the city?
0: Oh, my goodness. There (laughs) There was a novel, a science fiction book written, and it was called A Stranger in a Strange Land. Ah, yes. And that's exactly how I felt. Because you totally changed. You know, instead of multitasking and our attention span is split up into a million pieces every second. On that island, you were very much in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Musicians often say, the good ones, that they play the center of the note. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it was very zen. And what I loved is you were so centered and balanced because you would wake up in the morning and your breath... The breath of the ocean, you know, just flapping on the beach, the wind in the trees, the whales blowing in the bay. It's like the whole world was all one breath synchronized together. And that's how you move through your day, you know, doing one thing slowly, savoring it all at a time. Okay. Sounds beautiful.
1: Sounds beautiful. Awesome. Oh. In
0: the northern lights, you know, pink and green lights storming around the sky, around your cabin, those long winter nights. The Milky Way, when you don't have light pollution like, you know, we have in yeah. this. Oh, my God. The Milky Way is this racing stripe. And you know yeah. that, that Van Gogh painting of Starry Starry Night where yes. all the stars are spiraling? That's exactly how the sky looks when you get away from light pollution.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, you know, you would hope that at some point in time in every person's journey through life, they experience that and get in tune to that. But unfortunately, it's only a small portion of us that actually get to make it to that that beauty of nature. Um, let me look at the time. here. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your trip back to, um, to there and we'll be right back right after that.
0: Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm talking to the man who found his mojo in Alaska, Inside Passage. And, uh, Michael, before the commercial break, you were uh, explaining to us how you were out there for two years. You came back uh, to what we call, quote-unquote, civilization for a while. Um, I'm wondering, how long did you stay before you went back?
0: I was on the island for just about two years.
1: And then you came back, yeah.
0: And the strange thing is uh, I had no dates. I had no interaction <coughs> with the female species. And, you know, they actually did a uh, survey where the Alaska government uh, about a decade ago, they were curious. And, you know, British Columbia, it's that same area up there. They were curious as to the ratio between the sexes of mm-hmm. the citizens. And they sent surveyors out into the wilderness and bush to sort of count heads. (laughs) And uh, they discovered that for every ten men living out in the bush or wilderness, there is only one female. Oh, ladies, that's the place to go then, huh? In fact, the the women up there that live in the wilderness have a saying that the odds are good, but the goods are (laughs) odd. The goods are odd. Okay, because <laughs> you have all these lone males mumbling to themselves, <laughs> you know, growing a rack of antlers. They're so horny. Yeah, you
1: know? uh, yeah, I know, right?
0: <laughs> so, and and I discovered that the strangest thing was the worst part of the whole experience of being isolated in that beautiful world was the loneliness. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't loneliness out of depression or despair. You felt most alone when something magical happened, and that was just about every day, yeah. and you couldn't share it with anybody. Okay. You know? So, and so just- uh,
1: I'm, I hate to interrupt you, so I'm assuming, because I never asked here, Genevieve, she disappeared somewhere soon after
0: you... Well, Genevieve was so far away, you know, 200 oh. miles to the south, and it was so hard to get to the island that it was very difficult, and her career was exploding, and... You know, we kept in touch, but it was very difficult to to continue that relationship.
1: Okay, okay. So while so you're this, this – I'm, I'm this during
0: couple- the uh, the full moon. Uh-huh. And the, the full moon shines up there. You could read the fine print in the newspaper because it just lights everything up. There was a pack of wolves that actually lived on this island, and they would start howling. And it was like the earth was serenading the sky. And I would go out on the beach, put my head back, and howl. Out of goodness, <laughs> along with the walls,
1: you know. Oh, I'm looking for my soulmate. Aww. Oh, my God. It just tore my heart <laughs> out. That,
0: you know, I couldn't share it with anybody.
1: Uh, well, this brings me to the next like little gem in your journey somewhere along the way. I don't know if it was your first stint at the uh, in Alaska or when you went back. Um, you kind of got a little plug in your single life there from Cosmopolitan magazine. How How did all that come about?
0: Well, this is, this is where it really gets La Vida Loca, really gets crazy. And I did have time to write my first book about living up there. And, you know, not knowing – ignorance is bliss sometimes. Yes. Not knowing anything about how the writing process works, that you have to get an agent to get over the castle wall of publishing. And I wrote this manuscript, just sent it off to HarperCollins, which is one of the biggest publishers in the world in New York City. Mm-hmm. And every publisher has what they call a slush pile. Yes. And those are manuscripts that are unsolicited, that aren't represented by the agent. In other words, you're not playing the game. Mm -hmm. And those slush piles are probably as big as Mount Everest Mm -hmm. in every publishing house. So, again, this is another one of these whole flukes that could totally, you know, change your life for better or worse. There's an editor who had a Polish last name. And he's walking back to his desk to have a sandwich at his desk for lunch. And he happens to glance at the slush pile and he sees this long Polish name sticking out of the, <laughs> the out of manuscripts and he tugs it out and probably avalanche the rest of the mountain and said, Oh, what the hell? While I'm having my sandwich, I'll, I'll give it a read. So it was Dan Bial, and Bial was a much longer last name and evidently was cut in half or Americanized. Mm -hmm. But long story short, HarperCollins published my first book, which never happens that way. Mm -hmm. And being in New York City, I had to leave the island to do some publicity. And a friend had sent a picture of me hugging a sled dog. In Alaska, and the dog is kissing my cheek. Uh huh. And you know, if a dog likes you, yes, everybody likes you. You've sort of passed the test. <laughs> because, of course, a dog can look right into your heart. You know, if somebody rings your doorbell, your dog either growls or licks the person's hand in three seconds. True. So, without the dog, none of this probably would have happened.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't be Bachelor of the Year, right?
0: Right. So, anyway, Cosmopolitan saw that picture. And, you know, Helen Gurley Brown, who died, I guess it's been about two years ago now. Okay. She took a little woman's magazine that was failing. It was going bankrupt. And with her energy and pizzazz, she put Cosmo into a 100 countries yes. and translated into 87 languages around the world. It's the number one selling woman's magazine worldwide. Yes. And every month they have a single guy, a uh, Bachelor of the Month, that women can email, write letters to, you know – so I come back from the island no dates and I find out that I Mr November and there's mailbags full of 5000 letters from women around the world with purple and pink ink and every every eye is dotted with a heart and Perfume is reeking out of these, off these letters, out of these mailbags, you know, obsession and my sin, Uh name it. And it was the craziest ride to go from famine to feast. It was like somebody said, okay, kid, um, walk into the candy shop. The lids are off all the jars. Help yourself to as many flavors and colors as you'd like for as long as you want. I mean, (laughs) every man's fantasy.
1: You go from howling with the wolves to just opportunity galore.
0: Yeah, it was totally nuts, but that's sort of my life. If people ask me in an interview, you know, what is your strength and your weakness, and I say it's the same word: extremist. Okay. You know, I'm either, you know, one extreme or the other extreme.
1: <laughs> well, somewhere in this load of baskets and baskets of mail and and this diversity of choices that you had to make. Um, Somebody caught your attention for the long the long
0: haul. Am I correct? Well, you know, after years of dating my way through the mailbags, <laughs> and, you know, it, I wasn't getting any work done. In fact, <laughs> one, one chapter in the book that I wrote about the whole experience, I entitled it Sugar Shock. Mm-hmm. It was like you were eating nothing but tiramisu or, mm-hmm. you know, dessert, like uh, hour after hour. Mm-hmm. And at one point... The one-night stands kind of got old. I was looking for substance, and I actually met my wife that way. And, you know, when I first heard about Cosmo, I didn't even want to do it because my book was out at the same time, and I wanted to be taken seriously, like as a writer and a biologist, Mm -hmm. and I just thought that this was sort of silly. But my publicist at HarperCollins said, Michael, listen, you can't just write and live on an island you've got to sell books like they're mm. boxes of soap. <laughs> and the fact that Cosmo is going to mention the title of your first book, oh my God, that is mm-hmm. just, that is worth so much in sales. And, yes. and I said, really, Janet, do you think I should do this? And she said, yeah. And my literary agent at the time, he said, dude, Sigmund Freud once asked, what do women really want? Take notes. Mm-hmm. And he said, why don't you study these women you're about to date? Like you studied the wildlife in Alaska. So I love double meaning titles for books. So wildlife is two separate words, meaning the life is wild and also wildlife as in the human animal.
1: Okay. And that's the next book that came out after the first one, right?
0: Uh, actually, it's my latest book. Oh, the latest I book. E- I needed some distance and I needed to absorb it for a while and to be able to write it not while it was all happening but okay. with the perspective of some wisdom.
1: Okay. Now, let me ask you this. The, the woman that you found to be your wife um, – Being with a man such as yourself, does she ever have that, you know what, Michael, today I just don't feel like getting up and going. Can't we just be regular for today? Or is she all gung-ho for the adventure just like her husband?
0: Well, I got very lucky. (laughs) And, you know, we were on Oprah Winfrey. I've been on Oprah's show twice when she was still doing her show out of Mm -hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. And there you are going live out to 400 million people. And, mm-hmm. you know, Oprah looks at us and she goes, Michael, you know, and Oprah's in yeah. way. And she goes, you got 5,000 letters from women around the world. How <laughs> did you pick Paula? Yeah. And the thing was, I hope this fairy tale is thrown away oh. and that young girls today, the millennial generation or whatever, yes. never hear this. It's Rapunzel because a lot of the mail I was getting. And Rapunzel was, you know, the, the girl or woman helpless in a tower mm-hmm. waiting for a man to come by and rescue her, to give her a life. I mean that is so anti-feminist. It's just yeah. – it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the mail was, come and get me with your dog team in Alaska, mm. rescue me from small-town America or whisk me away to adventure, you know, that sort of thing. I see. But when I finally got to Paula's letter – it was none of that. And it was no naked pictures. It was no, <laughs> you know, invitation of happy ending after first date. It was nothing sexual like a lot of the male was. Okay. And in between, it was basically a resume of her success through life. Mm-hmm. And in between the words, she was saying to me, Hey, buddy, I really don't need you. Yeah. If you want strength beating strength, you call me up.
1: I you love know, it. My, my
0: dad always told me if you want to learn to play tennis, don't <laughs> play with somebody you beat all the time. Play with somebody that runs your butt all over the court.
1: There you and go. And then learn and grow. Awesome, awesome. She's like, "Look, dude, I'm wonderful and amazing on my own, so you better get with me or."
0: <laughs> yeah, and the I- great thing was is uh I mean, she just was this Wonder Woman. She's like 20 careers in one. You know, she was a Playboy bunny, lived at the mansion, she went to chef schools, Flight Attendant of the Year, like everything she did, she did with such energy, pizzazz, you know, and totally beautiful as well.
1: Uh-huh. So
0: when we first met, we talked for five hours without stopping.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And you know what's, what's very strange? I discovered that a lot of women that are physically beautiful, they never grow a soul because mm-hmm. they don't have to. The world bows to their beauty. And then, of course, the beauty eventually fades, and if they don't build any substance, then there's a crash landing. But Paula's mother made sure that she always was reading, was learning to, to be a chef, that she always had other interests beside herself. Beautiful on the inside. Exactly. And the most generous giving person. So I, there was a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow that I didn't even want to participate in. So I'm learning in life that when opportunities come and you think they're silly or maybe you shouldn't do them, pay attention. That's right. There's a silver or a gold lining, you know, in every opportunity.
1: I'd say we are always where we were supposed to be when we were supposed to be there, and and don't overlook uh, the little gems that are in your life at that moment. We're going to take the last. What's
0: funny, Lana, is that Paula laughs and she said, "Michael, I'm glad you didn't respond to my letter right away." I'm glad you had a few years of dating these girls because when you got to me, then you really appreciated
1: me. Yes, yeah, you, you know what you had. Michael, because we're gonna take the last there was commercial- crazy stuff.
0: <laughs> you couldn't even make up some of these dates. Maybe I'll tell you the craziest to two craziest ones if you want me to. You
1: know? Okay, after commercial break. We're going to take a real break and we'll be a quick break and we'll be right back after this.
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm talking to the man who uh, followed his heart and lived his passion. Um, And he is the author of the book Inside Passage, Passage, Living with Killer Whales, Bald Eagles, and Coahuacatele Indians. Now, Michael, before commercial break, you were talking about how you came um, to to meet your wife, Paula. But before that, you you had to have a whole bunch of crazy dates to get to her. And you're going to share with us a couple of crazy dates that you had uh, before you you met Paula.
0: Well, you know, Alana, the strangest thing is if Cosmopolitan Magazine puts their stamp of approval on you. Uh-huh. You're in that magazine as Mr. November and there's your picture and the dog's kissing you and you know your address is there. I mean, I was just getting every level of females, not just in our country or North America, but from around the world. I mean, there were CEOs of companies, mm. there were female truck drivers, there were, you know, kayakers and mountain climbers. And, but one of the strangest um Dates you might say that I ever had is the phone rang one Sunday night and it was a collect call. In other <laughs> words, the operator said, would you accept the charges?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was from a prison oh, in, my. South, in South Florida. And you know, my writer's curiosity and because I was taking notes to eventually write, you know, the latest book, I said, sure, I'll, I'll pay for the charges. And this woman comes on and she goes, Michael, I'm incarcerated in an all-female jail. I get out in a few months and I need a boyfriend bad. Uh-huh. And, uh, being curious, I said, Dolores, uh, by the way, P.S., what are you in for?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Said third degree murder.
1: Oh well, bye. <laughs> but
0: I'm getting off on good behavior. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm gobstruck. I mean, my mouth hit the floor. You couldn't make this stuff up. And she said, I must tell you something. I was walking to the exercise yard the other day. And she said, in the summertime in this jail, it gets so humid that it, the condensation actually drips down off the ceiling like it's raining inside the jail. And she said, one hot day, I'm walking toward the exercise yard and I'm looking in just about every cell on each side of the walkway and there's your picture. Somebody ran it off on a copy machine because Mm. there you are in the snow with your sled dog and you're wearing that red parka. You're like our ticket out of here. You're you're this Mr. Fantasy escape thing. You know? (laughs) And I'm going, This is this is like crazy. You know, Andy Warhol said we all get fifteen minutes of fame and but But this But I don't want it like that. (laughs) Yeah. This is just too much. And then it went everything from, you know, a prisoner in a jail in Florida to if you go see a Hollywood movie and there's a shot, let's just pick that great classic film, Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. You've got Julia Roberts taking a shower and there's a three second tight shot Mm -hmm. of her butt through the frosted, you know, fogged over glass. Well, nine times out of ten, that's not Julia Roberts' butt because maybe she doesn't <laughs> want to show her butt or yes. maybe she's self conscious or, blo- or the director doesn't want, you know, who knows?
1: Yes, yes.
0: So there are body doubles in Hollywood that make a doggone good living stepping in for the two or three seconds because their particular body part is the best in the business. <laughs> so I actually dated a body double from Hollywood who had the best butt. <laughs> In the business, <laughs> and you know, being being 100% male, it was like I couldn't resist some of this stuff <laughs> because you know they say that men are seduced through their eyes, and yes, women maybe more through their ears. You know that the, the the ten out of ten isn't necessarily all that important to women. Sometimes you'll see this model with a guy that's 30 years old or with bald or whatever. You know, women tend to go more for the substance. Whereas guys are just more visual animals. So when Shireen from Hollywood sent me her picture of her particular way of making a living, I mean, I couldn't resist. Sure, I'll try. So all this madness, you know, I'm taking notes and I finally, you know, sat down and wrapped it all out and and put it into the book and – Alaska's in there as well. It's really one of the main characters because it begins in Alaska. Then, it, you know, Act Two is New York City, all the dates and the craziness. And then Act Three is a return to Alaska with the partner that he decides to spend his life with.
1: Okay. Okay. So um, the book Wildlife The Misadventures of a Cosmo Bachelor. Um, I think I read somewhere that it's actually being considered for uh, a movie.
0: Yeah, we're, we're fighting a fight. And the latest thing is, is to do it as a TV series okay. where each episode is a different woman. Because, <laughs> you know, if you try to condense all of this into 90 minutes of screen time, it's too much. Mm-hmm. So if we could do it, you know, maybe four or five seasons, one date, an episode that he learns from. And I mean, I just learned so much about women. I learned so much about myself. I mean, I heard over and over that, you know, men know how to tune up a car, but they don't know the first thing about turning on a woman. Mm -hmm. Or play is what you do all day. I mean, there were just so many things I learned.
1: Okay. Now, I'm curious. How long did you date from this Cosmo thing before you found Paula? Uh,
0: Probably for two or three years.
1: Oh, okay. And it just got
0: exhausting? Yeah, and it just got exhausting because (laughs) – when I started forgetting names uh-huh. or calling one woman, you know, the previous date's name, I mean, that, then it got too much.
1: <laughs> it's a little bit too much. Okay. Now, um, so the ladies today, you're, you're, we've, we said now Paula has you. You're a married man now, but there's, there's other ways that people can catch up with you possibly, and we mentioned this earlier. You've got this thing going on with Princess Cruises, so people can catch up with you that way. What, what is that all about?
0: Well, from May to September, I'm the naturalist and guest speaker. On one of their cruise ships that goes for a week from Seattle, Washington, round trip, all the way up to the top of Alaska or Glacier Bay. And I, you know, interact with people, sign books, lead people on, you know, various excursions when we reach the shores. And, and I, you know, I love social media, too, because it's a great way for an author to interact with readers directly, you know.
1: Okay, okay, so social media. Now, uh, I know the adventures are not over, Michael. What else do you have planned? What next on the pipeline for you?
0: Well, what I want to do is try to push this through as, you know, the TV series. And because it actually happened to a living person, they're willing to give, you know, more control. Say, if I write the screenplay, and God forbid, I would (laughs) love, I would actually love to direct this, Uh you know, and everybody says, but well, you've never directed anything in your life. Well, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone never directed anything. And look what he did with Rocky. True. You know, I'm a storyteller. Just get me one of these old, and who really makes a movie is the DP, the director of photography and get me some white haired guy that knows the lights and the technical aspects. And I can storyboard, you know, every scene. And, but the greatest thing is, is it was, there was so much humor mm-hmm. and hilarity and a lot of these dates that uh, that's what I really played up in the in the book you know is just how much fun it was as well as being overwhelming
1: okay well i think you should go ahead and direct it i mean looking at how your life has been you know you never had any experience you know going off to live in alaska and you 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 managed that successfully so why not do the movie and the screenplay and all that stuff yourself
0: uh, and a how- storyteller is a storyteller. Whether you're That's telling right. it on a page, you're telling it on a stage like I do in Alaska, you know, it's it's a story is a story.
1: Awesome. Now, before I go, uh, tell the audience, how do they pick up a copy of any of your books?
0: Um, if they just go on Amazon.com, okay. and because my last name is hard to spell, but if they would be so kind as to just type in two words, wild, life, two okay. separate words... By Michael with a long Polish last name, and then <laughs> it pops up to my author page, which has all my social media addresses and website and all of that.
1: Okay, now we're gonna. Go, I'm going to go ahead and give the audience the uh, website here with the long uh, last name here. That is Michael M o d z e l e w s k i dot com. Okay, so everybody go there, go to Amazon, pick up the book, go on a princess Cruise so you can get it firsthand from him. My Can
0: I sneak in one more thing about my mom?
1: Oh, sure. Go ahead, dear.
0: Well, you know, when you're writing a book, you uh, the publisher sends it out to get blurbs, you mm-hmm. know, statements or review statements from other authors. And I was very lucky with the Wildlife to get, you know, the titans of the industry like Pat Conroy, who wrote The Prince of Tides, Amy Tan, Joy Luck Club. They all said such nice things. But the blurb on the front cover that is selling the most books is from my mother. (laughs) And it's a simple statement. Oh, my God, what did I raise?
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, that is the end of today's show. I have enjoyed my time with uh, the adventurer here, Mr. Michael Mojo. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I will see you all next week.